Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CYDC podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike. And I'm Arushi. And on today's episode, we will be exploring sleep. So before we jump into it, Arushi, I just want to ask you uh, if sleep is an important part of your life or whether you're someone like me who struggles with, uh, with sleep. Sleep is a very important part of my life. And I I pride myself on usually getting enough sleep, but I think there's a big difference between getting enough sleep and getting quality sleep, which I think we'll kind of touch on today. Um, but yeah, I, I usually sleep enough. This is just going to turn into a therapy session. I usually sleep enough. Like I always wake up in the night and it's so annoying and then I have to turn and like, it just becomes a thing. So if I say I slept seven hours, I did, but it's like waking up a lot, but that's just me. What about you, Mike? Uh, I do not have good sleep, and as we might find out later in this episode, could be potentially related to the fact that I have ADHD a little bit. I think it, actually I shouldn't say maybe it does, I think it 100% is, just Mm -hmm. being able to go to sleep quickly and like waking up in the middle of the night and like, I'll wake up at three in the morning. Sorry, my water bottle fell. (laughs) It's all good, did anything spill? No, we're good, it had a lid on it. (laughs) All right. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that um, that I'll wake up in the middle of the night, like at three in the morning, and my brain's like, "All right, we're ready to go." <laughs> I'm like, "No, we're no, not ready not. to go. We're, go. we're ready. We're ready to go back to sleep." Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely some sleep struggles, but you know, thankfully, I got coffee on my side, and we're <laughs> we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. How did you sleep last night, knowing that we have kind of a, a long day today? Um, I slept okay. Um, I still woke up feeling a little bit tired, but like it's just being tired for, for me has become the norm. Yeah, you're like I woke up feeling normal. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I woke up feeling even even when uh, you know when we talk about like side effects of the vaccine and everything, and yeah. some days I'd wake up and I'm like, I'm a little bit more tired, but I'm like, I'm always tired. So what's really the you know, even after I got the vaccine, even though I was a little bit more tired, I'm like, ah, it could just be this norm. It's a norm. Yeah. So yeah. We're going to talk about ways to hopefully, hopefully regulate if anyone can relate to these experiences. Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) All right, so I guess we'll jump into it. And um, as we were kind of talking about a little bit, sleep is an important aspect to our well-being and to our daily routine. And it's important to our, or it's important for our brain functioning, our body functioning, and almost every other system within our body. And so we spend roughly one third of our day sleeping, depending on the type of sleeper you are. And it's important to get enough of it. Otherwise those systems like our brain, they don't really function properly. And we'll explore this a little bit later in this episode where we'll dig in a bit deeper on sleep deprivation, oh my gosh, in English, sleep deprivation and the impacts of sleep on our mental health and maybe on our ability to read properly. Mm -hmm. That too, yeah. (laughs) But I guess before we kind of move into the mechanisms of sleep and the sleep cycles, um, it's important to understand the meaning of REM sleep and non-REM sleep. So REM stands for rapid eye movement. And during REM sleep, our eyes actually move around in different directions, but don't send any visual information to our brain. So as you can imagine, in non-REM sleep, this doesn't happen. So instead, during non-REM sleep, we cycle through three stages. And in these three stages, the body will repair and grow tissues, build muscle, and strengthen the immune system. 
As we age, we get less deep sleep and more light sleep. And throughout a typical sleep, we also cycle through stages of non-REM and REM sleep. So we experience both. So diving into the stages of sleep. Stage one of non-REM sleep is when we go from wakefulness to sleep. It lasts roughly five to 10 minutes and it's a light sleep where our heart's beating, we're breathing and our eye movements are slow. Our muscles relax and might even twitch. And in stage one, our brain waves are also slowing down. So Arushi, has that ever happened to you where you kind of like are in that first stage of sleep and you're, you're like your body twitches or like your muscles twitch or something? Yes. I I don't know if this is something that happens in this stage, but have you ever had that kind of thing where you're falling asleep and you feel like you fell and you like jolt, jolt awake? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious as to which stage that happens in, but I've definitely had the muscle twitch thing where you're like kind of awake, kind of asleep and it's like, oh, that wasn't voluntary. <laughs> yeah, I think I could be wrong, but I think it's in that first stage where you even could potentially feel like you're falling a little bit and yeah. you get that twitching sensation. Gotcha. Uh, that happens to me all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting for me. I can like I can see it coming. Like while I'm oh. trying to fall asleep, I can kind of feel myself about to twitch and it, oh, no yeah, and it happens. Yeah. Does it happen really. often for you? Um, not when I try to fall, like not at night, but if I ever try to take the odd nap, yeah. um, I can, I, I know that it's coming. Yeah. Ooh, very interesting. So, so that's stage one. Um, and in stage two of non-REM sleep, it's a period of light sleep before we go into a deeper sleep. So everything relaxes and slows down, our body temperature drops and our eye movement stops. And as the brain slows, there are occasional spikes of electrical activity. So this is the cycle that we spend the most time in, and it lasts roughly 10 to 25 minutes. Next up is stage three of non-REM sleep, and it's also a form of deep sleep that is crucial to feeling refreshed in the next morning. Heart rate and breathing is the slowest in the stage, brain activity slows even more, and occurs in longer periods during the first half of the night. REM sleep happens roughly 90 minutes, about an hour and a half after you fall asleep. And the first period usually lasts 10 minutes, with each following REM period lasting longer and longer, and may even last up to an hour. During REM sleep, your heart and heart rate and breathing quickens, and you can have intense dreams since your brain is more active. REM sleep is also important for learning because it stimulates those areas of the brain. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe REM sleep is also when your memory solidifies a memory formation kind of happens I think which is why kind of like after studying or before an exam they really emphasize you know try to get a good night's sleep even though it's usually the hardest to sleep before an exam but that's a another tangent I could go on but just something to note for there and a fun fact actually is that babies can spend up until 50% of their sleep in REM versus 20% for adults so I bet you're all wishing you were babies right now because that sounds pretty sweet. And actually, if you type in sleep cycle on Google Images, you will see a bunch of graphs that um, show how we cycle through our sleep stages. And Mike actually kind of has a cool way to describe um, how these graphs look, if you want to share that, Mike. Yeah, so I was trying to think about the best way to describe how the graphs actually look for people who are listening, who can't really access the internet right now. Um, and the graphs almost look like an upside down New York skyline. If you were to kind of like trace an outline of each building, yeah. um, 
And so as we move up and down the stages, it kind of looks like um, like a building line and then like a flat line and then maybe it drops a little bit more. And then, um, so that's the best way that I could think about it was like an upside down New York City skyline. Yeah. And uh, I also think it's important to note that a lot of graphs that I found on Google actually show four stages rather than three. Okay. Um, but I believe that the stages work very similarly in terms of the four stages of non-REN. There were some pictures with three stages, there were some pictures with four, so I didn't know which one to go with, but yeah. Yeah. And um, so now that we kind of looked at the stages of sleep, um, we'll move on to sleep anatomy and the brain. And so there are many components of the brain that contributes to our sleep and the process of sleep. So the first one is the hypothalamus, which has a bunch of nerve cells that control sleep and arousal. So when the hypothalamus, within the hypothalamus, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, suprachiasmatic nucleus, receives information about light exposure from our eyes and controls our behavioral rhythm. Some people with a damaged SCN sleep erratically throughout the day due to a mismatch between their circadian rhythm and the light-dark cycle. The second component of the brain is the brain stem, which sits at the base of the brain and communicates to the hypothalamus to control the transition between awake and asleep. So cells within the brain stem and hypothalamus produce the chemical GABA, which we talked about in our anxiety episode, I believe. And GABA, or gamma-aminobutric acid, reduces the activity and arousal in the hypothalamus and brainstem. And additionally, the brainstem helps send messages to our muscles uh, to relax during REM sleep. The third component is the thalamus, which becomes less active during sleep and allows us to tune out the external world. That being said, during REM sleep, it's actually active by sending the cerebral cortex images, sounds, and sensations that make up our dreams. So the thalamus is kind of the uh, important component that um, contributes to our dreams. The fourth component is the pineal gland, which receives signals from the SCN in the hypothalamus and produces melatonin, which many people might know is something that helps us sleep once the lights turn off. The fifth component is the basal forebrain, which promotes sleep by releasing adenosine, a chemical byproduct of cellular energy consumption. So adenosine supports our sleep drive and caffeine actually blocks the effects um, or the effectiveness of adenosine, which is why caffeine can kind of keep us awake. Um, the sixth component, a lot of components of our brain, um, is our old friend, the amygdala, which we know helps process our emotions. So the amygdala becomes active during the REM uh, sleep stage, and there wasn't like too much information on what it actually does, but just the fact that the amygdala does become active during that REM sleep stage, and maybe that also contributes to our dreams, because, um, yeah. Yeah, that would be something to look into, actually. And I know we'll be touching on dreams more later on, but that is definitely something to consider. Um, in addition to all of that, there are also neurotransmitters and brain chemicals that contribute to our sleep. So sleepy neurons in different parts of our brain become more active as we get ready for bed, and neurotransmitters can switch off or dampen the activity of cells 
that signal arousal or relaxation. These neurotransmitters include GABA, norepinephrine, orexin, acetylcholine, adrenaline, cortisol, and serotonin. If only you all knew how hard that sentence was to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thankfully, we got Google on our side to help yes. us uh, with some pronunciation, for sure. Yes. Uh, and on top of the brain's role within our sleep, there are actually two biological mechanisms that work together to help regulate when we are sleeping or when we're awake. So one of them is our circadian rhythms. And I say rhythms plural because there are actually more than just one, which is kind of a myth. I know a lot of people, when you say circadian rhythm, it's usually like one rhythm that you think of, right? Um, but circadian rhythms regulate the fluctuation in wakefulness, body temperature, metabolism, and the release of hormones. So in terms of sleep, our biological clock, which runs on a 24-hour day, controls most circadian rhythms, including the time we go to sleep. So for example, it helps us get tired at night and wake up in the morning without an alarm. The way, um, the way they work is by relying on environmental cues like light and temperature to give our system cues on the time of day. So I don't know about you, Rishi, but I'm someone who can set my alarm and I usually wake up within like a minute or two um, of it going off. Oh, like you, you're not a snoozer. You're not a, like not, any of that. Not a snoozer. If I, if I, I could almost like not set an alarm and um, say like, I want to wake up at seven 30 the next day and I'll, I'll wake up at like seven 20, seven 25 almost that's really cool. every day. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the other, biological mechanism is the sleep-wake homeostasis, or it's called sleep-wake homeostasis, which tracks our need for sleep. It reminds our body to sleep after a certain time and regulates the intensity of sleep. This is also called a sleep drive, which gets stronger uh, the longer you're awake and causes us to sleep longer and deeper when we are sleep deprived. So I actually like this term sleep drive as a short form for sleep-wake homeostasis because yeah. um, it really, I think, drives home the, a picture of like, you know, wanting to go to sleep after being awake for longer and um, especially if we're sleep deprived. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. And so speaking of sleep deprivation, I'm curious, Mike, what's the, the longest amount of time that you've gone without sleeping, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally? Or... Um. I mean, I'm not really the type of person to like pull an all-nighter or anything, even throughout university, or I guess I'm still in university yeah. <laughs> during my undergrad. First uh, part one, yeah. Yeah, part one. Uh, I wasn't really the type to pull an all-nighter for anything. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think there were a couple nights where I was up to like four in the morning and then had to wake up at like six. So like if I woke up at like 7.30 one day, I went to bed at like 4 a.m. the next day. Um, I guess that would probably be the longest time. Oh, how, how about you? Long. That's like what, 20, 21 hours, roughly? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, yeah. it's a decent amount of time. Uh, how, how about you? Have you ever like pulled an all-nighter all or, any, or anything? Yeah, I, I think I have once for school in first, in first or second year, I think. And I think that was about 36 or 37 hours. I remember I was like specifically counting it at the time. Whoa. Um, but yeah, it just kind of turned out that like the, the first day went by and I was staying over at a friend's house to do work. And then we just stayed up doing work. The next day I went to school, came home. And maybe it was closer to two full days then. I don't know now that I think about it. But I would never do that now. I No, absolutely not. It's so bad for your body and you just feel awful. 
I feel I also feel so old saying this, but I'm like when you're young and like you feel like you can stay up longer and yeah. I even me and my friends reflect about this all the time where like you know now we're all like 26 so um by the time like midnight rolls around we're all like ready to go to bed and we always joke because we're like back when we were in like high school we'd stay up till like one two in the morning play video games together like hanging out right and now we're like 11 12 o'clock we're like it's time to go home right so yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny how that changes like i almost feel like now it's nicer to kind of wake up earlier and have more daytime rather than more nighttime but I don't know. I also haven't really gone out in a while because of COVID. So maybe once things open up more, that'll change. <laughs> but yeah, but I was just curious about that because I, yeah, I was just wondering. 21 hours, that's a long amount of time. Yeah. But knowing all of that, don't do what we've done in the past because we need sleep. It's recommended for us actually to get between you know seven to nine hours of sleep per night. And during sleep, our bodies, they heal themselves and they just recharge our batteries. So looking into what sleep deprivation actually is, it's defined as a consistent lack of sleep or reduced quality of sleep, which can drain our mental and cognitive abilities and puts our physical health at risk. So signs of sleep deprivation include excessive sleepiness, yawning, irritability, and daytime fatigue. So when sleep deprivation becomes chronic, it can bring other risks to our health and well-being. And chronic sleep deprivation impacts our central nervous system by impacting how our body uses and processes information and can lead our brains to being exhausted for the day, or day ahead. This can also impact our ability to concentrate, learn new things, and even lead to mental and emotional mood swings. Sleep deprivation also impacts our immune system. So when we sleep, our immune system produces antibodies and cytokines. Yeah, awesome. Okay. <laughs> Can never be too sure with these words. Um, and when we are sleep deprived, it prevents our immune systems from building up its defenses to fight off invaders. Sleep deprivation also impacts our digestive system. It impacts two hormones specifically, leptin and ghrelin, which controls our feelings of hunger and fullness. Leptin lets our brains know that we had enough to eat, and ghrelin stimulates our appetite. So as you could imagine by these definitions, sleep deprivation can increase our production of leptin and increase the production of ghrelin as well. And lastly, sleep deprivation also causes our body to produce less insulin after we eat, which helps reduce our blood sugar or glucose levels. Perfect. Thank you, Arushi. And the next thing that sleep and sleep deprivation impacts is our endocrine system which is responsible for hormone production. So for example, you need at least three hours of uninterrupted sleep for testosterone production, which is roughly the time it takes to reach the first REM cycle. And if we look at things the other way around, so what impacts sleep deprivation? Obstructive sleep apnea, otherwise known as OSA, can disrupt your sleep and sleep quality by forcing you to wake up throughout the night, leading to sleep deprivation. So OSA causes breathing to stop involuntarily for short periods of time during your sleep, which is why you get these interruptions um, and sometimes poor, um, poor sleep. And I think it's pretty clear by now that sleep does have a big impact on you, you know, on a physiological level, but also on an emotional level as well. So when we're kind of considering sleep and mental health, um, research that has looked at the links between the two show that the relationship between the two is bi-directional. 
meaning that mental health challenges impact sleep and sleep impacts mental health challenges. So in this section of the podcast today, we will be looking at different mental health challenges and their relationship with sleep. So in looking at depression, around 75% of people who experience depression show signs of insomnia, which is a sleep difficulty that makes it difficult to fall asleep, stay asleep, and may result in waking up too early without being able to go back to sleep. We know that sleeping difficulties are a result of experiencing depression, but there is evidence to show that poor sleep might cause or make one's experience of depression even worse. And for people with seasonal affective disorder, which affects people with reduced daylight hours, like during our Canadian winters, uh, it has been shown to disrupt a person's circadian rhythm or biological clock, which as mentioned before, affects multiple biological functions. So people with seasonal affective disorder tend to sleep too much, too little, or have sizable changes in their sleep cycle. Mm -hmm. And for those who experience anxiety, Worry and fear causes individuals to be hyper-aroused, which is a big, big component to the causes of insomnia. So the sleep difficulties themselves can become a worry that makes it hard to fall asleep. PTSD has also been shown to affect sleep to the replaying of negative events, nightmares, and a constant state of alertness. And for people with bipolar disorder, which causes episodes of extreme highs, otherwise known as mania, and lows, or depression, um, a person's sleep patterns can change drastically based on their emotional state. So manic episodes may cause a feeling of needing less sleep, where depression or depressive episodes may cause excessive sleep. And sleep disruption is also common between episodes. Um, interestingly, they have found that treatment for insomnia can actually reduce the impact of bipolar disorder. So kind of looking at that bi-directional relationship that we were talking about, about how, you know, treating insomnia could potentially um, also impact our mental health and um, mental health challenges. Definitely, yeah. I guess moving forward, for children and adolescents that have autism, there are higher rates of sleep difficulties like insomnia and sleep disordered breathing like sleep apnea as well. And for people with ADHD, otherwise known as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, sleeping problems are very common. Um, there are great difficulties falling asleep, waking up throughout the night, and daytime sleepiness. And problems like OSA also seem to be higher for people with ADHD. And much like many of the other mental health challenges mentioned, while sleep problems might be caused by ADHD, poor sleep can also make the symptoms of ADHD worse, like reduced attention span, which I've actually talked about a little bit in the ADHD episode of if I have a bad sleep, usually my attention span and my ability to do work and all those sorts of things, it gets um, greatly, greatly impacted by poor sleep. So, mm -hmm. And if we were to kind of look at the interaction between COVID and the pandemic and sleep, um, much like our conversations about the brain in many of these topics, it's also difficult to avoid talking about the impact of COVID, and it's not different when it comes to sleep. So stress-related insomnia and sleeplessness has been a challenge during the pandemic due to increased stress and worry. This stress and worry can extend beyond just the virus itself, but everything else that's been impacted, like our work, social life, economic challenges, homeschooling, loneliness, closed gyms, and much, much more. And the added 
challenges of being stuck in our houses for longer periods of time disrupts our sleep patterns and the light-based cues for wakefulness and increases mental health challenges like depression and anxiety, which we mentioned earlier as also impacting sleep further. The entire body can also be impacted by sleep loss because tiredness will make people less likely to exercise and do things that can actually boost your mood. And also, as we mentioned earlier, if we have increased stress and anxiety and depression, a lack of sleep will only make them more challenging, leading to this negative cycle of, you know, I mean, you could say what came first, the chicken or the egg, but, you know, if you have poor sleep, it might lead to some mental health challenges, and those mental health challenges might also make it more difficult to fall asleep. So just that kind of negative cycle that might occur. Yeah. And another thing that comes to mind for me when considering COVID and sleep is that before COVID, I think a lot of us had our routine of waking up at a certain time for school and work, getting back at a certain time and having to sleep at a certain time. But with COVID, I think those boundaries and rules kind of loosened a little bit and people you know, found themselves with inconsistent sleep schedules or new sleep schedules. And I think even that adjustment and kind of forcing oneself to try to have a consistent sleep time and a consistent awake time is also a big part of regulating sleep during COVID because when we are at home, it is easy to either sleep more or sleep late or whatever you know, makes the most sense for you. But I think having that consistent sleep and wake time, even when you are at home, um, definitely is a big thing. I think a lot of people had to adapt to with COVID. I even think with a lot of people working from home or doing school from home, a lot of those boundaries that we might have had in the past of, you know, you you leave your work at work and then when you come home, you can kind of take that break. I think those boundaries have really been kind of broken a little bit where, you know, everyone's working, not everyone, but people are working from home and those lines kind of get crossed a little bit. And so I don't know about you, but there'd be times where I find myself answering emails like very, very late at night, um, even whether it's work related or school related, just because, you know, it's, you know, we're at home, our, our home space has become a workspace as well. And so I think that has, that's been the biggest impact for me in terms of sleep and COVID is just, you know, um, kind of blending those lines and not knowing when to, you know, set those boundaries at times. So definitely, I, I think a lot of us, for a lot of us, our homes, you know, are our sanctuary and our peaceful space to come back to after a long day. But when your home is the place where you're spending the long day at, it's, those lines really do get blurred. And I mean, slowly things are opening up. So I think hopefully that becomes less of an issue. But in general, I think that's something that I was really exposed to during COVID, kind of like you said, Mike, even answering emails at unreasonable times and knowing I don't have to do it, but I'm also like, this is my workspace, my home. It's it's weird and was definitely difficult, I think, to adapt to and required a lot of you know self-control and discipline as well in that sense to set those boundaries. And if you don't mind me asking, did you find any like differences in your sleep patterns during COVID or? Um, thankfully not, but I think something I did notice was that I had to, well, maybe I did notice a difference if I'm saying this, but I feel like I had to work more hard to make sure I was maintaining a good sleep schedule. Um, cause I guess when did lockdown start last March before that I was working. So I was up at, you know, seven every day back in the evening, sleeping by like 10 or 11. Um, but with COVID, I found, you know, that sleep time getting later, my wake time getting later, and I didn't really like it feeling like half my day was gone. Um, so I think in terms of sleep discipline, if that's a term, that's something I had to work on. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, I didn't really see a difference in like my sleep patterns at all, but I did notice that I was 
more tired throughout the pandemic i found um maybe it was just a reduced quality of sleep that i was getting throughout the night and maybe that is connected to the increased stress and stuff and anxiety around the pandemic but um in terms of like my sleep schedule has doesn't really didn't really change but yeah definitely feeling a little bit more tired throughout the day and so maybe taking an extra extra nap or two yes so naps are always great except the ones where you wake up and it feels like a year has gone by and you're just like disoriented but that's yeah Yeah. naps are good but not for too long yes that's yes the sweet spot is actually 10 to 15 minutes I think people say which it it actually works even though it sounds ridiculous but yeah The, the, the cat nap or the power nap is key exactly yeah so I pose another question for you Mike tossing it back to you what did you dream about last night um i like that the smile on your face just dropped you're like what did i dream about <laughs> I, I have no idea if you if i don't even know if i did have a dream last night so what since you're posing the question to me oh, what about God. you what did you dream about last night <laughs> well i will say you did dream last night you just don't remember it um but what did i dream about i don't remember last night's dream but i remember the dream before last night because it was a scary one i dreamt that someone was trying to break into my house um but i know that i had that dream because that same night the tv show i was watching that was like a similar scene that was happening so i'm like that makes complete sense um but that aside <laughs> dreams i guess this kind of goes without saying they they are a universal human experience um and they can be specifically described as the state of consciousness characterized by sensory, cognitive, and emotional occurrences during sleep. So the dreamer, which is you and I, or the listener, the dreamer has reduced control over the content, visual images, and activation of the memory. So there's actually no cognitive state that has been as extensively studied, yet as frequently misunderstood as dreaming, which I found to be really interesting. And something I've actually heard in terms of if you're a person who'd like to remember your dreams more, some people suggest keeping a dream journal where you, as soon as you wake up, you kind of write down, even if it's a couple of words that don't make sense, just about what your dream contained. And that's supposed to help with forming memories about your sleep. So moving forward just into some little fun facts about dreaming. We may not remember dreaming, Mike, but everyone is thought to dream about three and six times per night, um, which I believe. And I, I usually do have vivid dreams, but yeah, a lot of the time I don't remember what they are. Um, it's thought that each dream lasts between five to 20 minutes, which I found to be interesting because sometimes they feel very long. Um, around 95% of dreams are forgotten by the time a person gets out of bed. Dreaming can help you learn and develop long-term memories. And lastly, blind people dream more with other sensory components and compared to their sighted peers, which I found to be super interesting. Yeah, all of that stuff was super interesting for me to hear as well. And uh, thanks for calling me out. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I have dreams that I remember from like five or six years ago that were like mm-hmm. super vivid and super memorable, but like yeah. I whatever i dreamt about last night i have no no idea yeah i have heard about sleep journals though um before and like and they could be useful and there's been a couple times where i woke up like in the in the morning and i wrote it in my phone or something like that just because i wanted to remember it or tell my mom or something like that if it was you know a loved one dreaming about a loved one that passed away or something like that those are always like special special ones so 
All right, and now moving on to sleep paralysis. And so while we usually think of being asleep or awake as clearly defined or distinct, conditions like sleep paralysis challenge these fixed boundaries. Episodes of sleep paralysis involved elements of both sleep and wakefulness, which is part of why they, can't, uh, they can give rise to distressing symptoms. So sleep paralysis is a condition identified by a brief loss of muscle control, known as atonia, that happens just after falling asleep or waking up. In addition to atonia, people often have hallucinations during episodes of sleep paralysis. So atonia is often distressing and troubling hallucinations can make sleep paralysis episodes even more bothersome. For this reason, around 90% of episodes are associated with fear while only the minority have a pleasant or blissful hallucination. The perception of these episodes has been found to be to vary significantly based on a person's cultural context. So sleep paralysis essentially feels like your mind is awake while your body is stuck and asleep. And sometimes this experience comes with hallucinations or seeing sights and shadows or even hearing sounds. And in addition to all of that, um, sleep paralysis is categorized as a type of parasomnia. So parasomnias are abnormal behaviors during sleep. And because it is connected to REM, rapid eye movement, as we mentioned earlier, um, those stages of the sleep cycle, sleep paralysis is considered to be a REM parasomnia. So in terms of commonality, estimates, they do vary, but researchers believe that about 8% of people experience sleep paralysis at some point in their life. So among these people, there is little data about how often episodes recur, but Mike, I'm curious, are you a part of the 8% of these people who've experienced it before? I am not. How about you? Mm-hmm. I am. I will say, though, and like knock on wood, I've it's never been scary. Like, I've never seen anything crazy. Um, if anything, it's more annoying because it's not a very physically comfortable feeling. Um, but a big tip, the biggest or one of the most helpful things I find for me, at least, is slowly wiggling your fingers and toes. And it kind of wakes the rest of your body up and you can break out of it. So that's and- my tip. I have a question. Are you like conscious during that time? So like, do you know that it's happening and it's like difficult to stop it from happening? Like what's that experience of, of sleep paralysis like if you're, if you care to? Yeah. Um, so the first time it happened, it was definitely scary because I didn't know what was happening. I think I had very limited knowledge about sleep paralysis and I was, it was scary. I won't, you know, sugarcoat that. So at that point, I mean, I, I was definitely awake, but it just kind of felt like I couldn't move my body. And I wanted to, you know, like say something or scream, like, can someone, you know, help me (laughs) right now? Um, But I couldn't. So that was really scary. And I eventually kind of broke out of it. Um, But after after it kind of happened, you know, numerous times since then, it's less scary and more annoying. So I do have that cognitive kind of, okay, I'm experiencing sleep paralysis, but I know how to get out of it. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm conscious, but I think there's little control over, over the body, at least for me. And I think that's mostly the way it's experienced. So moving forward, uh, sleep paralysis can occur at any age, but first symptoms often show up in childhood, adolescence, or young adulthood. After starting in the teenage years, episodes may occur more frequently in the 20s and 30s. So the exact cause of sleep paralysis is unknown, but studies have examined data to see what is associated with a higher risk of sleep paralysis and have found mixed results. Based on that research, 
research, researchers believe that multiple factors are involved in provoking sleep paralysis, such as sleep disorders like insomnia, mental health concerns, those with a family history of sleep paralysis, and also those who are higher in imaginative and dissociative traits may be more likely to experience sleep paralysis. And to that, I'd like to add, I think, at least for me, and this may be something that others relate to, it often happens when I wake up and then go back to sleep shortly after. Um, I don't know why exactly, but that's something that I found for myself. And I wonder if anyone out there might relate to that as well. In terms of treatment for sleep paralysis, it's similar to general tips for proper sleep, which Mike will dive into now as well. Thanks, Arushi. That's a perfect transition. Um, so what are some tips for proper sleep? I know we've talked about some tips in the past of like relaxing techniques and kind of healthy bedtime routines, and these are very similar. So um, the first one is setting a schedule to go to sleep and waking up at the same time each day exercising at least 20 to 30 minutes per day but trying to avoid exercise within a few hours before going to bed avoiding caffeine or nicotine late in the day avoiding alcohol before bed relaxing um, engaging in some relaxing bedtime routines which can include things like reading or taking a bath or maybe even oh imagine that <laughs> actually does sound pretty nice though <laughs> Um, and in addition to all of that, uh, creating a proper sleep environment in your room, which includes reduced bright lights, a comfortable temperature, I think usually a cooler temperature people say is good to have, and not watching TV in bed, as well as avoiding long naps and naps later in the evening. So power naps early in the day can be really effective at recouping some energy. So as Mike and I kind of previously discussed, between 10 to 15 minutes is a good sweet spot. There is also a form of CBT that is specific for insomnia called CBTI. So maybe looking for a practitioner if you feel that might be helpful who practices CBTI or even a CBTI group workshop could be helpful as well. And lastly, if you haven't fallen asleep for after roughly 20 minutes, consider getting up and going to a different room if you have that option and distracting yourself in the form of reading, calming yoga stretches, or even a relaxing hobby like knitting. And in addition to that, I would also like to add that there is a podcast, I don't remember the name, but we'll put it in the resources where they tell you a really boring story um, once, and then they tell it to you again a second time, even slower. So I've heard that that puts some people to sleep because of how boring and slow it is. And that's the intention of the podcast. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah. And the one thing I'd like to add in there as well is um, like relaxing noise or um like the asmr sounds um for me sometimes just like hearing the sound of like rain is something that's relaxing so i'll just kind of pop that on and help me fall asleep um the one thing i will say when i read all these tips as well is um try not to get stuck in you know if something's not working for you yeah. to like keep trying it and keep trying it and keep trying it and getting frustrated about it because i know for me um i've tried so many of these tips and they just it just doesn't work um, for whatever reason. I'm gonna blame my ADHD for that. And uh, in terms of going to sleep and trying to shut off the brain and trying to relax and stuff. So um, they might work, they might not work, but I think it's just finding the proper bedtime routine that works well for you um, mm -hmm. is kind of the most important thing. But uh, obviously these tips help for most people, I'm sure, just not for me. 
Yeah. And even all that, you know, being said, this definitely isn't, you know, an exhaustive list by any means. There's lots of things that we, we don't even know about that have been helpful for other people. Um, and even right off the top of my head, I've been thinking of kind of like supplements and natural alternatives. I know some people have mentioned kind of lavender essential oils. If you have a diffuser or kind of rubbing it on yourself, that might help some people. Um, we are both not doctors, but I've heard that melatonin supplements have helped some people. They are not something you need a prescription for, but I think it definitely is good to, you know, consult with a doctor before starting anything like that. But some mm -hmm. people have definitely confirmed that those are helpful as well. Um, I think those are the only two, yeah, that came to mind for me. But yeah, all that to say that is that this isn't an exhaustive list by any means. Mm -hmm. The one tip from this list that I found um, that I've changed that has, has helped, not really routine-based, but um, avoiding alcohol before bed. I feel like when watching a hockey game or catching up with some friends over Zoom or whatever, it's really easy to kind of have a glass of wine and uh, before bed. And I found that um, that kind of avoiding alcohol like late at night has has improved my sleep. So I usually try to try to not drink before late at night um, if I can. So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely an important thing. I know people have a nightcap sometimes. Is that the right term? I feel. I don't know. I don't know if I'm using a, a nightcap. Yeah, isn't isn't that a thing where it's like you take a you have a little drink before bed? I don't know. I've heard the term being used. I've never done it before, but maybe it's it's not an actual thing then if you're not supposed to have alcohol before bed. So don't do that. All right. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we move on to the fun fact? Uh, nope. I think that is about it. Would you like to dive into our fun fact? Yes, of course. And so our fun fact for this podcast is that 12% of people dream entirely in black and white. Um, and two thirds of a cat's life is spent sleeping while humans spend one third. So actually, there's kind of two fun facts in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, I wish to be a cat. What a nice life. They don't do a whole lot. They just kind of exist. <laughs> actually, no, I'd like to be a dog because they're very spoiled a lot of the time as we know um but i'd like to think cats are spoiled as well they're in a good home so for sure i feel like my dog probably spends two-thirds of his time sleeping as well <laughs> not going for walks or like asking for food or whatever the case but yeah mm -hmm. but alrighty, so i guess we can wrap up for today um so thank you all for tuning in this week if you have any questions or comments about the podcast or would like to reach out to us you can email us at any time at cydcpodcast at gmail.com. We have added resources from this podcast in a link in the descriptions. As always, thank you to Dr. Colin King for giving us this opportunity to record the podcast. Our intro music was provided by Gaming Free Music on YouTube, and the outro music was written by Waterboy on SoundCloud. Both links are in the description below as well. We look forward to seeing you all next week where we will be discussing concussions. So make sure to tune in for that. And yeah, thank you all for listening and we hope to see you soon. Bye. Thanks everyone. Bye.